we're away. Oh, there we go. We're away. Something happened momentarily then. Mm-hmm. Odd number seven. Nearly coming up to two months of podcasts. As I was just saying off air before, we're in the top 40% of podcasts because we've like actually lasted more than three or four weeks. What does that, that say about people's consistency, right? Yeah, yeah. People don't like doing the same thing over and over again anymore. Start with something and give it up after a few weeks. Yeah. Anyways, we're here. Maybe it's because we're a little bit older. We've got nothing else to do. Well, anyway, a couple of notes this morning, a couple of ideas. Progressive training. We kind of both know a bit about it. We've been doing it for a long time. And then I thought we'd get to talk about at the end of the podcast is quickly about Apple Watches or fitness trackers, more to the point. And I'll yeah. give you my views, but I'd like to get your thoughts on fitness trackers. But progressive training, here's the question I have, and I know it's not your wheelhouse, but if somebody was to run, wanted to run 5Ks faster, they're just a typical weekend runner, what would you get them to do or what would you tell them? Oh, uh, hang on. Let me just see if I've got this. Sure. So that's correct. Then, so they're not actually, they're not an athlete. Mm-mm. They're not a, a mid, middle distance runner or any, they're just a fun runner. Weekend warrior, yep. Just a they're, they're, they're a park runner. They've got a park run of 25 minutes and they want to go underneath 25 minutes for their park run. Oh, okay. That's a very, very different conversation that you'd have with that particular individual than you'd have with, say, someone who was actually an athlete. <clears throat> of course. I would be having conversations with them about what they're doing off the track or, or off training as much, if not more, than what they're actually going to do training-wise to get under that time. Sure. That That's if someone just told me they're a fun runner, and I've got a few of them. Yes, I know. That's why I thought it would be interesting to get your views on it. Um, yes. Progressive overload is, you know, a term that I suppose not the average person doesn't fully understand. They just go to the gym or they go for a run and they don't know about training blocks and, you know. Mm. Um, I wouldn't give them any of this kind of information. It's just, one, they won't understand it. Two, they'll never do it. Um, because it's just not the space they live in. So if I had someone that said to me, I want to be a better park runner, but this is who I am and this is my life, I'd say go out for one more extra run a week um, and but go, uh, but cut the distance down by one or two Ks and just try and go a little quicker. Yeah. That's my advice. That's it. Don't think any more than that and then go to your park run and do your best. <laughs> And try yes. not to eat, the, eat everything you see for the rest of the week because that's where they live. Well, not all of them. Maybe we're talking – like if someone's running, and I did preface this saying that someone's running 25 minutes for a park run. It's five-minute K pace. It's kind of my pace, maybe a little bit faster. Mm. Um, and I don't consider myself an athlete anymore, but uh, I can still, you know, perform. But my view is – just understanding for the basic person that there is, you know, a building block or there's a progression that has to occur in training. And, you know, people don't fully understand it. Like I said before about 400 meter running, typically as a 400 meter runner, you don't necessarily have to run 400 meters of training to run a good 400. And you rarely do. You rarely do, right? It's yeah. like a marathon. A, a marathon runner doesn't go and run 42 kilometers, 195 meters in training. No, no, no. Their biggest run typically is a Sunday morning and it's 32 kilometres. Yeah, and, and it's more about their weekly load as opposed to um, running the actual event. 
And, 100%. And, and that applies from 400-meter running all the way through my, my eight runners. I've got people running 1500s now. Um, it's more about their weekly load. Yeah, for sure. And where they are there. And, and that, as you say, that progression of um, like, um, well, for, to give an example, if the, the guys on the weekend, like I had my four 800-meter runners, so they knocked out um, – 1,500 metres of work. They did three split 500s off not long rests. Um, and then they had a good break. I'm going to say good break for an eight runner. They had 12 minutes. Then that to run a split eight for time. Just go back a little bit for me. What's the rest time between the 500 you said? They had um, five minute breaks between the, the, um, the 500s. But those 500s were split by two 250s. On minute rests. Okay. Yep. So then they so they did three <clears throat> so they had three sets of that. Then they got twelve minutes break, and then they had to run back to back fours off two minutes. So let's just for anybody listening, and I've got to think about that. There's potentially an audience, even though a very small one. Yes. Um, what that means. What that means. So for anyone out there, these four hundreds that they're running, or these two fifties that they're running. Um, as a combined 500, these are all done at faster than their 800-meter race pace, correct? Not this particular session. I'll okay. Why. This was done at um, not completely tempo or rhythm, but they were even splitting them. And because and what we're getting here is this progressive overload is because that to do, because it ended up being six 250s in total, they're getting this progressive fatigue. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I was after. I needed to progressively... Uh, fatigue that energy system which was mainly cardio and then give them a slightly extended rest and then under fatigue they're going to start their first 400 of their eight under some fatigue so they're going to experience what it's like to be only halfway through an eight but feel like they're at the end sure of an 800 and so that so when they get that so but they get their two minutes rest their reprieve um, to gather themselves slightly, and then they've got to dig home for 400. So it's going to really that. So that it's really not the first 1500 meters that I care about. It's just preparing them for what was to come. Sure. To put them in a state where they're a long way from home, but in an enormous amount of hurt. But they still had to run anywhere between four and eight seconds quicker on their combined time than their PB. Yes. So that's really hard. Um, and um, they all got it. The worst one uh, was one of the guys. He just beat his PB by two seconds. And he was he was ironed out. Like he was – he didn't get in his car for half an hour. Yeah. He was in all sorts. These are the nuances of coaching as we've spoken about, you know, in depth before as opposed to trainers, I suppose, right. that, you know, we think about a lot. Um, particularly when it comes to racing and both of us know more about the track, but how do we actually, you know, simulate race conditions? How do we fatigue an athlete and then replicate the back end of a race? How do we, you know, teach an athlete to run with technique when they're fatigued, you know, so all these things you've got to think about how we load them up Mm. um, and get them to that point. I suppose, you know, and I was the comment I made um, talking about how to run, if somebody came to me and said, I want to run a better park run and they're a, you know, weekend warrior, but they're an okay runner, um, depending on what sort of time and restrictions, let's take that out for, for a moment. I said, typically 
You know, if I program somebody for three runs per week, ideally it would be four. But let's say out of those three runs, I would have them do a longer, slower run, some sort of steady state running. Yeah. And if they're a five-minute K pace run, I would have them probably run at six-minute K pace for up to 10Ks, yeah. um, between eight and 10Ks. Yeah. Another day, I would actually ask them to run somewhere between four and five Ks. That's going to be at their current race pace. So they're simulating that race pace all the time so they know what that feels like. And then on the third day, they'll be running intervals, probably somewhere between 800 metres to 1,000 metre intervals mm. with a very short rest. And they'll probably do somewhere between four and six 1K mm. intervals yeah. um, at obviously faster than race pace. And yeah. again, that's an individual thing. I can probably pull, I did a session like that on the weekend, I can probably pull four, uh, 30 seconds out of my 1K pace. Someone else may only be able to pull 15 seconds, you know, before they start to blow up. Um, Timing-wise, I think that's a tricky, the gap as a middle distance or like let's say a park run, um, particularly when they don't fully understand their own physiology and the way they run, and that's what we spoke about in depth before, when we used to run together, the different physiologies as well. I set myself a target of 90 seconds to two minutes between those 1K intervals. But what I ended up doing was just using my watch as my guide and using my heart rate. Um, and once I fell below... 120 110 heart rate i would go again and yeah. what's interesting if you look at my and i've been using a fair bit of data because of my fitness tracker the garmin does a very good job of giving you a lot of information if you look at my heart rate i did four 1k intervals every one of those 4k uh, those 1k intervals my heart rate progressively got high came down a lot and every time i started again my heart rate started slightly higher than the previous one and finish slightly higher. Mm-hmm. So my heart rate was perfectly linear like this to the end one. It was up, down a long way, back up. So it was actually the perfect sort of session. But mm-hmm. getting someone to understand that is really tricky. Um, and you've got to think how much information do you want to load someone up with? Um, of course. One of the simple things, and this was an old one we used to do, but I've, I've actually remodeled this for Park Run. Um, and I did this for um, a woman who, who um, wanted to break 20 minutes for a park run. And I just introduced a version of threshold running. Mm-hmm. So if she wanted to break 20 minutes, I would send her out for a, um, uh, a 10 minute run in one direction, go out at about 90, 95% for 10 minutes, two mm-hmm. minutes break, and come back in nine anything. Yes. And change after two minutes, push home. And I found that's something people can understand mm-hmm. and they can get their head around because they're like, they get their two minutes rest, they've run halfway and they know they've got to come back under under time. Sure. And they've only got to push for nine minutes and, and X amount of seconds. So they can lift themselves for that. And it actually yeah. overloads their system and they get that progression and it does improve them. Yeah. So that's just one little trick that I've used. And it doesn't matter what people say their park run is. I had another one who her park run was um, 32 minutes. <laughs> so I'm sending her out for 15-minute threshold runs. Yes. You yeah. know, and 15 out, 14, anything back. So, and she's and she's, times are coming down. Yeah. So it, it's, the other thing I've always got to think of is who am I talking to when I'm talking to a park runner? Because you can have anywhere from elite to mum pushing a pram. Yeah, for sure. And I suppose, you know, I was um, referring to someone that's 
done some park run and, and I'm sort of taking it. They've got to that five minute K pace. There's yes. some semblance of a runner, right? You know, they, think, yeah. they know how to run. They can sort of push themselves pretty hard. Um, and I think it, it sounds complex, but the, uh, the overarching aspect of it, it's pretty simple. I think it's just difficult for people to get their head around that, you know, some days you've got to actually go out and run a little bit further, but run slower. Yes. People have got this mentality, no, no, I just want to go faster all the time. Well, you can't go faster all the time. It just doesn't happen. You know, we, as 400 meter runners, we would actually run 500s. They're not at 400 race pace. They're a slower run. Um, you know, and a good 400 meter runner would actually run, a younger 400 meter runner potentially would run 600s in the off season. Yeah. Um, and it's one of my mantras and uh, that I say at the track all the time. And it's mainly the sprinters. I have to drum this into their heads is say, you have to run slower now to run faster later. Yeah. And racing and training are mutually exclusive. Yeah. You don't race the way you train and train the way you race. You don't. You do, though. This is the caveat. You do race the way you train when you're running time trials and event runs. But sure. not training. And this is this concept some of these people can't grasp. So they just want to run fast all the time. All the time, yeah. And it doesn't translate. You actually will get slower. Yeah. Um, but people don't understand that because you'll hear people say, well, if you want to train speed, you have to run fast. That's true. But you can't train speed all the time. No. <laughs> um, and it's just knowing the difference. And most people don't know the difference. And that's what really shocks me all the time is they just don't understand that concept. And it's a simple one. It is. I think it, they just don't stop to think about it because the logic just says, oh, if I want to actually go fast, I just need yeah. to run fast all the time. Yeah. And the other big thing in that, the other big um, component of that which we we know about because of the way we've trained is the rest. Oh. You know, like people just can't get their head, head around rest because they can keep backing up day in, day out. And I've reached a point in my life where I just can't back up um, but even when I could back up, you know, the rest is just so important. You need to be able to recover. And the thing that I found with distance running, which has been all getting back to, I'll call it distance running, you know, between five and 10K running, is my heart rate's a very good indicator of how well I've recovered. It you is. know, some days I go out and I noticed recently my fitness has just changed levels and my heart rate has dropped about 10 beats per minute for the same speed. Um and that's been over the last four weeks. But then the other day, I went out and I ran very tired. My heart rate rate went straight to the roof because I was so tired. One of the metrics, I meant to tell you this, this is a really good metric that we used to use all the time. I still use it, um, but it'd be really good for you. This is a very good metric of the health of your heart and how um, <clears throat> your actual, that muscle is, is if you go out for a run and let's say your heart rate gets to one, 170. So you're sitting on 170. What you want to do, is is finish your run but not stop moving and mm -hmm. start walking and not a brisk walk just a nice gentle walk and then time your heart one minute where it comes to from 170 to what how quickly it comes down now if it within a minute comes down to 110 120 beats that's a very very strong indicator that your heart is in very very good condition yeah if it's it's still 160 after a minute yeah you do not have you would have no base training in that your heart is still working very hard um just to have you walk in a very gentle pace which means you don't have it hasn't got any of that base fitness in it or there's and it can mean something else too there can be underlying problems 
But as a just a very, very general rule, the rate of your heart coming back, it's almost like if you look at breathing, you look at, remember, the quarter eight 1,500-metre runners can do a rep, and within a minute or so, they'll turn it, their breathing's return to normal. Yeah. Sprinters, they're, they're, they're like, if they're told to go off two minutes, they're like, oh, man, I'm, I can't do it, can't be done. But an eight runner, he's like, yeah, they're recovered. Yeah. That they're good indicators of where you're, or, and it doesn't mean you're fit or not fit. It's just an indication of what type of fitness you have. Because you can be fast and not fit. Yeah, 100%. And I think I've always said to people that your heart rate is, um, you know, and God, as a sprinter, nearly who cares, right? You just go and run. Yeah, really. You know, I've had a max heart rate, I think, up at the sand dunes one day of 210 or something. Yeah. Around those stupid sand dunes when I was in my 30s. Um, but it's irrelevant. Who cares? Nobody cares. Um, it's instant anaerobic when you're yeah, instant. Yeah, yeah. Not getting any oxygen to your muscles. But as now that I've moved more into that sort of, you know, just 5K stuff, that my heart rate is um, a very good indicator of how I'm going. And as I said, you know, initially yeah. trying to run 5Ks, my heart rate was way too high. Um, yeah. And I still can't run in zone two. My zone two heart rate at the moment for me is about 120 beats per minute. I can't run in zone two. The mm. moment I run, my heart rate just is still too high. The only zone two training I can do, which is, you know, basically said to be the best base training. An interesting stat I heard the other day that 80% of all Tour de France riders training, 80% of all their training is done in zone two. Mm. Now, their main aim, as I understand it, and I could be definitely corrected here, is they want to be able to push the highest wattage they can on their bike, but still staying with the lowest heart rate. Yes. So yes. their aim and their their numbers are phenomenal. I can ride at about 150 watts in zone two, and zone two for me is 120 beats per minute. And if I'm fatigued, like last night I did a, a gym session, then I jumped on the bike. Um, you know, I couldn't push 150 watts to sit in zone two. If I'm not fatigued, I can. These guys can push in the hundreds of watts in mm. zone two. Mm. Um but it's for me, it's very difficult to run in zone two. I'm still just not fit enough. You know, it's my, I'm getting closer, but I'm just not there yet. But mm. yeah, so from a distance point of view, your heart rate's a very good indicator. And it is. Um, and you're, you're right. And that, that ability for it to return, and that's what I did on the weekend, those interval runs. I just watched my heart rate once it got down to that 110 mark. That was like, okay, I'm ready to go again. Um, and that's coming down quite quickly. But yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting trying to get people's head around some of these concepts because they, they just, you know, the more is better mentality and the faster I've got, if I run faster, I've got to get faster. Well, it's not necessarily the way. And it's that progressive overload and, and training, you know, training needs a system. People mm. don't understand. They need blocks. And even me, I've thrown the block theory out the window at the moment when I'm training with these high rocks. And I'm so, like, I've reached my, my fatigue threshold. I'm just been pounding myself so much. And if I was in a true block, I should be on a big down week. Because I'm so, I should be deloading because I'm so done. Yeah. Um, but I've only got two weeks to go, so I'm just trying to hang on. Yeah. But next time round, I would give myself a good twelve or sixteen week training block um, and train properly within those blocks and cycle because I'm just carrying way too much fatigue. But uh, I'm I'm shocked at how grumpy athletes get when you tell them to deload. Yeah. <laughs> and they get grumpy. They yeah. Like, oh, so they think it's a dead session. Yeah. You know, um, most of the sprinters are happy. They're happy to deload. Yeah. Um, they've only got one sprinter that he's actually got a really good work ethic. I think he'll be a good 200-meter runner. He says, I get they all deloaded. 
um, last week and they were all and, and deloaded on Sunday. And they were like, um, is this all we're doing? This is it. And I'm like, you're done. Get off the track. No, really? I want to do more. No, it's not. This is not training for fun. You're training for a, a result. Yeah. And you're done. Get off. There's no more to be done. Because if you don't get off today, when Tuesday comes, which is today, you won't survive Tuesday. This yeah. is what they also don't understand. They're not thinking about next week. They're just thinking about where they are. And I'm saying, if you don't deload now, you will not survive Tuesday. Then they start to pull their head in because they think, oh, geez, Tuesday is going to be horrible. I'll get off. But if you don't say that, they'll just do more. And if you don't also tell them that, they'll come back later and cheat. Yeah. Because they panic, especially if it's getting anywhere near an event. Um, that it's and it's re- this is probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was to get people to not train all the way up to an event to try and get them to rest. It's really really hard. The cheating part, I have to say, as a coach or you know a previous coach drives me insane. Mm. <laughs> I find it kind of I take it a little bit personally, and I find it a little bit insulting. It's like I've given you advice. You're coming to me for advice on how to do something. I'm giving you my advice on how this is the way you structure things. We've done it for a very long time. Yet still you don't believe me and you're still going to go and train either later on or the following day when you should have some rest. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) That's a tough one. On Sunday, I had a girl um, after uh, she came to me as she's been doing for the last 11 years, and said, what do you think of this session? This is the one I want to do. And I said, nah, it's rubbish. Won't help you. I'm going to do it anyway. 30 minutes later, she's lying on the track, crying her eyes out because she didn't hit any of the target times. And what's worse, everyone else going over to give her a hug to tell her it's all okay and don't worry and you're doing great and all this, when the right information she needed was, you're an idiot. Yeah. Doing this. Like how what how many more years do we want to keep doing this for? We're in year 11. Year 11 now. Yeah. Hasn't competed in 11 years because she's never been able to get her times to where she wants them to be because she's doing the wrong thing. Yeah. She keeps asking me. She's lovely. I we let I let her she's the only person I let cuz she's a good friend of mine. So I let her get away with it. Anyone else I'd throw out. I wouldn't have them. But I let her go because of who she is. And I just say to her, you should, this is where you need to be. Oh, I'm going to go do this then. Right, off you go. And fails. So we're going to go into year 12 soon of this, year 12. So I've got 12 years of data of not getting it right. And I don't know what the trigger is because we've all tried, other than a team of psychotherapists working 24-7, you know, trying to solve it. Because it's not a physical thing; it's mental. Um, I, know, I know what it is. What? It's a financial punishment. Oh, it's, and it's a big one. It's like if you do this session that you're telling me you're going to do, and you take have to take a bet on this, and you don't hit your target times, you give me a thousand dollars for every time you don't hit a target time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sometimes we need these big financial. Punishment. Sometimes it's the only thing that that when it hits people's um, pockets, as we well know, 
you know, they'll avoid um, uh, that like the plague. They'll actually try and do anything they can to avoid that. She'll either hit her targets or she'll fail and then she'll potentially won't want to do it again because of the financial cost to her. But, yeah, I think that's really frustrating for me anyway. Um, I, I, but, I tolerate it. Um, when other people do it, I, I wipe, I, I, they're done. Yeah. But she's just, I've just known her a long time and, so, and everyone kind of jokes about it because we all know what she does and why she does and they, everyone watches her and lets her go and then she always, but yes, Sunday really tipped it over. Like she's crying and carrying on. I was just like, oh my God, it's killing me. <laughs> I just, you know, um, it's, it's really difficult because she's comparing herself to everybody else. Yeah. And you can't do that at our age. You've got to run your race. Yeah, for sure. You know, you can't compare. I mean, it's like I said, I mean, I just looked up the the, the United States just had their championships on. And a guy, and he actually beat me in Finland and he beat me in Poland, but he just ran 23.68 to 200 metres into a two-metre headwind. Wow. At 56. I mean, that's in, that's, that's it's, it's so fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, into a two-metre headwind. I'm just like, what? Lee ran another 53 seconds flat for his 400. You know, he's 50, turning 57. Wow, they're good times, yeah. aren't they? I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm tossing up how much more to do with it. I've been invited to the Bahamas, you know, for the World Relay Championships. No, I had no idea. But... Yeah, even the Bahamas, like, they have the World Relay Championships, mm-hmm. which is – um. All the best athletes in the world, all the countries put their best relay teams, and they've asked all the masters countries to put their best relay teams forward. Mm-hmm. I've been nominated for that, which I would I was I'm winding my career up, so I wasn't really entertaining anything. But it is in the big stadium in Nassau um, with all the best athletes in the world. Yeah, nice, nice so place it, to go. It might be a nice fairy tale ending for me. Yeah, um, yeah, good trip, big trip, hard to get there. Hard to get there. Because it's LA, Miami, 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 Nassau. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's like going to it's like going to Finland. Yeah. yeah. That far away. Yeah. But it's kind of come right at the pinnacle end of um, my career, and I'm still actually in good shape. Yeah. And it's a relay, so you can hide a bit. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say the relay, so you don't have to, not uh, as exposed. Not as as exposed as a straight up run. So anyway, I'm thinking. I'm. Thinking when, when is it? May May twenty fourth May next year. Yeah, okay. Now you've so got a bit of time to contemplate. A lot of time. I, I'm not committed to it, but I'm not. It's nice to be put in the mix. Yeah. And be recognised. And whether I do or don't do it, we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Well, good. Well, I need to probably wrap up. I need right. to uh, get into the office and get a bit done today. Yep. Good to chat. And um, yeah, all right. That's a wrap. Until next okay. time. Okay, done. Cheers, buddy. Cheers.